Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Okay, okay. We're back. Welcome, welcome, friends, to another episode of A Little More Good. We're here. We're going to get rolling. I'm here with Zach. Here we go. Yeah, buddy. Um, just a little check-in for you. We're, we're trying out some new gear uh, today because as you'll hear in this episode, we kind of needed it. Not only new gear, but um, a new space. So we'll, we'll talk more about that later. But Zach, what, uh, what's good with you, man? What, uh, what do you do? What'd you, what's your day been like so far? Well, I started my day with a little inner Irie smoothie. It's our new smoothie. Uh, we collab- collaborated with Akeem Pierre. From Rich Soul Foods, and it's got that sea moss and that sweet bay leaf. That's been my my new ritual. Starting my day with the inner Irie. What's what's been good with you this week? What's nice, happening? Nice, nice. Wait, wait, wait. Before you jump to me, what uh, what is sea moss? Sea moss is like the sea vegetable okay. that uh, that uh, Rich Soul Foods uh, cultivates from Saint Lucia, and it's like super mineral rich. So uh, I was listening to Akeem talk about it, and like the minerals are like kind of like the house and you kind of fill it all with all like the vitamins and the macronutrients and like the carbs and the proteins and the aminos and all that stuff but the minerals that you get from the sea moss are kind of like the foundations of the house nice. so i've been uh trying to keep that foundation strong you gotta know? keep it strong sea moss okay okay does it what does it taste like anything or? doesn't really have much of a taste but uh i just like feel good when i scoop it and put it into the smoothie and i feel like it like it's radiating goodness. A new superfood of the sea. Yeah. Plants. What plants. a shock. It's I know. The, the, the secret of longevity and health and wellness is in the plants. Big big surprise, right? Secrets out. Shockers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of that, speaking of the plants and the secret, I've been reading this book that's amazing. Um, the Heartbeat of Trees, it's called, by Peter Wollobin. He's the guy who wrote The um, the Secret Life of Trees. Yes, remember? that's right. So it's like... It's not really a sequel, but it's kind of on the same same end, and uh, it's amazing because he talks about like our it's our connection as humans to the environment around us, and specifically to like trees and the ecosystem. And honestly, I'm about a third of the way through, and it's so good. Like already, I recommend it. It's fully underlined and highlighted because I'm like, this is so good. And he talks about like taking care of the trees and the planet as actually like an act of self care. 
which I thought was super cool because he's like, we're all connected. That's we're cool. all part of it. So to take care of it is actually to take care of yourself. Yeah, I love that. Not, not to divest too far before we get into this week's podcast, but I remember reading the, the book of Hopi. Um, I don't know if you've read that one. No. It's so good. Uh, they talk about trees uh, and the whole planet is one one living being. Yeah. And when you cut yourself, you know, you scab over. Um, and the trees, like when you, when you cut a tree, it saps over. And uh, it was kind of just connecting, you know, all, all of the trees, the people, the earth. And it was kind of saying like, when you have an irritant, you, you create something to, to kind of cleanse yourself of it. And, yeah. and that was kind of their answer to natural disasters and global warming and all of this stuff. It's like we haven't been well to the trees and we haven't mm. treated the earth well. So it's going to have to do things to take care of itself in a way. Yeah. Um, interesting theory. We can, we can dive into it more. That, might be, that might be a full pod. Full pod <laughs> Good later. We should see if we could get uh, Peter on. That would be an amazing yeah. conversation. We'll have to zoom him in. I think he's in Germany or something, but yes. still. Okay. Uh, cool, man. Good, good. It's been a minute since we've seen each other, so it's good to just kind of catch up. But um, This week's podcast, yeah. what's happening? Who do we got? We've got the amazing Navi Gill. Oof. She's a firecracker. She's a force to be reckoned with. Um, and shares with us a little bit about her journey, her personal journey into the world of wellness and how she's taking up space and really um, in a radical way that is like, it's unfortunate that she has to be this role, but she's trying to reclaim or working to reclaim wellness um, and traditional medicine when it comes to like Ayurveda, yoga, and these practices that are, you know, have been birthed out of India and are practiced widely by many people who maybe have never been to India and some maybe never even given a thought on where these ancient and beautiful and wonderful practices have come from. So Navi talks a bit about that and uh, a bit of her origin story and how she got got into it and it's so much fun. And you know her, like you've yes. known her for, for a while before and we just kind of connected recently. But Yeah, yeah, we met you know a few years back through the juice truck and uh, Navi's just one of those people that when she talks you want to listen, you know? Like she just has... Uh, fierce wisdom and uh, she just like cuts to the truth she's as as real as it gets um, I think she's, she's going to be a regular on our podcast uh, someone that we want to have around you know yeah she is wonderful and helps us like see our blind spots as two white dudes in our in like our mid-30s like it's amazing even the pre-pod conversation we had uh, that should have been a podcast in and of itself I was left just thinking like, oh man, there's so much that I need help seeing, right? And I think Navi is great at that. And so hopefully um, you learn something, maybe you are challenged, Uh, you see a blind spot that maybe you didn't even know you had through this episode. Um, But we were really excited to share this one with you because it is so powerful and Navi's so awesome. Um, And full disclosure, we really debated on whether or not we were going to post this episode because the audio quality is not great Uh, we had to because of covid we had to record this um, session in uh, our not usual spot and so it's quite echoey and we've done a lot of editing as much as we could to, to make it as clear as possible and we went back and forth on should we load it should we not but ultimately on a run we decided it's too good like the content is too good so um 
we recognize that uh, the quality is not as good as it should be for such an awesome guest as Navi, but we wanted to, to get this out into the world regardless. So um, hopefully it's the last one where we have some issues like that. Yes, and I found the audio kind of uh, you know seemed echoey for the first 10 minutes or so, but once I got through there, it kind of just seemed normal. So please do... Uh, listen through um, the content like Dean mentioned uh, we didn't want to not share this because uh, Navi just brings that that real fire and uh, so yeah please please do listen through uh, we'll have Rana as a guest again uh, but this was content that we felt uh, the world needed to hear totally and yeah you uh, it's a lesson in how adaptable we are right you can listen for 10 minutes and you kind of like it's normalized so yes. we're we're ready to to adapt to these situations and it's a good reminder for us all to be flexible and work but really hope you enjoy this one um, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast if you could leave a review as well that would be awesome um, and let us know what works what doesn't work obviously audio quality notwithstanding but uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on how we can make a little more good even more good yeah enjoy this one with the incredible navi gill maybe by way of introduction i know that you've shared it before in different places but some of our people this this might be their first introduction to you mm-hmm. so something we've done with some of our other guests and something that i'm always very interested in is people's origin story um, and less less of the simple like so where do you come from because that can get like Right away, we just want to know like what country of origin, but the heart of the origin story is like, what has got you to the point that you're at now in your life? What are the people, who are the people, what are the places, spaces, things you've done, the experiences you've had that have kind of shaped you and molded you along the way? And so those can be positive, those can be challenging, whatever it might be, whatever you're comfortable sharing. We'd love to hear how, uh, how has your life experience shaped you to the point that you are here today uh, sitting with us and going to... Yeah, put us through the school of Navigale. Damn, well, that could be a whole series <laughs> on its own. So I will, I will give you the Cliff Notes version, yeah. I guess. Um, it all started back in Punjab, but truly. Um, so that's where my family's from. My parents are from Punjab, um, which is in northern India. And I'm first generation here, Canadian. Um, and I grew up in a multi-generational household with um, extended different extended family members so at any given point we could have like 16 to like 20 people at our house growing up to like just my parents and my siblings um, so that had a big effect on my outlook in the world because I was kind of in between two worlds like when I went home it was very much like the traditional way our parents were trying to assimilate and like make sure that we were still holding on to our cultural values our spiritual values um while allowing us to explore our quote-unquote canadian upbringing and identity um and then when we go to school i feel like i grew up pretty fortunate because i grew up in surrey so mostly everyone was um like either an immigrant or first generation with like immigrant parents and um a lot of Punjabi people so I grew up constantly immersed around people of color um in elementary school and it was very um 
I never really questioned that identity so much. It just was, I felt like I couldn't express it fully in the way because I hadn't like stepped into it in the way that I thought in my head because my parents, they had to come here and like figure out how to survive. So they didn't have that time to like sit and like always nurture my questions or like my self-expression on what it meant to be well, like Punjabi people don't always identify as Indian. So there's like a lot of like layers within that as well. And like what it means to be a Sikh woman, what it means to be Punjabi, what it means to be Canadian, like all those identities, like there wasn't like a guiding force. It was kind of like something in my spirit that allowed me to kind of like hold on to those values and express them in the way that maybe like sometimes I would wear my Indian clothes or my Punjabi clothes to school. I started like a Bhangra and Gidda dance club in my school where like my aunt had come from India at that time and like she was our teacher. So like, and, and like multicultural day and things like that. Those were my ways of like being like, I'm here and like, I, I'm like taking up space. And that was never like really something I questioned until like high school where like suddenly I had like, it was very clear, like my identity mattered because everyone was kind of compartmentalizing into like, their groups which happen to often be based on like race or um you know the neighborhood that you grew up in like those were your friends but I was kind of friends with everybody so it was very difficult for me to like pick a group um and that's when I think the questioning of the identity sort of came in and in my 20s it for sure was something that I started to unpack um, in terms of my work, um, the most pivotal moment, which I have talked about in quite a few other um, podcasts, is 2010. So just a little like pre-context to that. I was in my second year at BCIT and I was doing marketing communications. And like that's what I like kind of was like, well, I'm good at speaking. So yeah. let's see how you can turn that into like a career yeah. because I really nothing made sense like up until this point like you know like they make you think in high school you get out and like you go into post-secondary you get a fucking piece of paper and like um it's supposed to get you a job and I was like totally in that mindset because like my parents never went and got higher education like they were my mom um went to school up until grade 10 and my dad claims he went to college but I'm not sure if he actually like went to hang out and chill with his buddies <laughs> or he actually went to, to school which like most of us go to the age yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but, yeah. and like him and I are both like the social people in our family so like I get it um there was no like guidance you know a lot of parents like immigrant parents emphasize education because for them it equals freedom because you get that job that you need then there's socioeconomic freedom um and my parents only ever encouraged us to do well which we did like I was always a straight-a student high school got a little dicey obviously as it does um but there was no like guidance for that higher education like oh be a doctor be a lawyer be this be that because they themselves didn't know and like no one really around me in my family had gone that route so it was up to us to figure it out and like none of that made sense to me so I was like all right like marketing seems fun like you get like you know that like flashy image that we think which we all know is actually not how it is. Pre-social media marketing. Pre-social media marketing. What did that even look like? Oh, God. Like, 
direct mail campaigns and stuff. Like pamphlets. Pamphlets. Like I still get triggered when I see a pamphlet in the mail because I go back to like having to design it. Um, so super boring um, to my surprise. And so I was in my second year and I was like already dreading it because it felt like I was in this school um, and there was a certain type of person that was like favored by like the teachers and like I just didn't again felt like oh one more place where I'm not fitting in but like I'm doing all the right things you know I'm joining the clubs I'm like sociable I'm nice I'm like friends with all these people but like my spirit was just like ugh mm. so anyways this was my commitment I was like I'm gonna finish this program and like figure it out in my last it was last semester it was January I remember this day like it like haunts me in my daydreams and my nightmares still. Um, it was January 16th and it was like one of those days where it's like super cold, rainy, dark. And like there was something that I had tickets to to go to after school. So I had come home and I was supposed to like get ready and go back out. And I remember I was sitting at the table eating and I was eating ramen noodles. I remember this. And I just got a phone call from one of my cousins. So my grandfather, my nanaji, which is my mom's dad, had gone in for knee surgery. I had spoken to him. Everything was chill. Everything was fine. And then it wasn't. And like my whole, like I can't even talk about it now. It's been 10 years without like feeling all that emotion coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first time I had experienced something so close and like sudden and uh unexpected like it's like not how you think your day is gonna go after school especially when you've like everything's fine it's like he went in for a routine knee surgery it's chill um he's gonna be back home yeah and my whole world stopped after that i I think, like, if I were to say, like, you know when you can look back on your life and be like, this was the starting of, like, when everything unraveled? Mm. And I felt like, for me, looking back, it was obviously super painful. Like, you can see the emotion I'm going through right in this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was, like, necessary unraveling. It's just no one tells you those moments in life are gonna look and sound and feel that way. Um... So, yeah, I lost my grandfather and suddenly everything I felt my whole life of not fitting in, not feeling like I had the community I wanted, everyone seemed to care about things that I really didn't give a shit about. Yeah. I was like, work? Who the fuck cares about work? Like, why do we have to like go to work to this nine to five, go work for somebody who cuts us a check at the end of the week, like paying a mortgage, like, all these things. And like, I think when you lose somebody and you're in that extreme grief, suddenly everyone around you also doesn't know how to handle you. So they kind of let you mostly go through the motions. So as shitty as you're feeling, if you're like raging and you're smashing things, it's like, especially in like my family, like being a Punjabi family where like no one knows how to express much range of emotion. Like we're happy and we're mad. Yeah. And then, and then sometimes they're both <laughs> kind of like the same. Happy and you're happy and you're mad, and they sometimes sound the same. Um, yeah, it's uh, 
it was the first time where my whole family was like rocked to their core. So no one could really support each other. Everyone's just trying to keep their head above water. And I saw everyone like break, like everyone's had snapped because they'd been holding all their own emotions and their grief and their trauma for like 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And this moment, that was it. And, um, that allowed me to kind of let go of this idea that I had to be the way that I was conditioned to believe, like get that piece of paper, get that career, get married, get that husband, get those kids, get that house. And like, I was like, I'm not doing this shit anymore because that grief I felt in that moment, that's going to come again and again and again. And there's no way I'm going to spend my time like waiting to live a purposeful life, Mm -hmm. waiting to live a life that brings me joy, live a life that doesn't allow me to actually be me. And none of this stuff feels like me. Right. So long story, like I said, it was going to be a whole story. Um, I, so in our tradition, we always, when we can take the person's ashes, um, we cremate our, our loved ones once they've passed and taking them back to India. Um, so I finished, I barely made it through that shit ass last semester. Like I I can't even, and we had to do an internship in that last semester, pure hell. Like when I hear the word internship, I like still shudder. Um, unpaid internship. Let me just add that. Um, yeah, it's, that shit's definitely not equitable and definitely illegal. Um, but you got to do it to get that piece of paper. Right. Um, so then we went to India as a family. This was like in the winter. I believe it was like December or something like around that time. I can't remember the exact time. Um, so we did all those last rites, um, to, you know, reopen those wounds that we had kind of patched up a little bit over the last like six, seven months or whatever it was. And Um, for some reason, my family decided, like it was my three aunts, two aunts, my mom, one of my cousins and me. And we're like, after we finish all these like, um, things that we have to do for the last rites, like, why don't we like travel a bit since we're already here? And we decided to do like a tour going from like Punjab all the way down to like the very Southern tip of India. And super random because like no like my parents have never been outside of Punjab even though they've been born there and um I hadn't gotten back to India much like I'd been in 2007 um and then in 2010 so when I was there and we were traveling throughout and we made it to South India like I started to see the word Ayurveda more and more like it was on the um, boards as we were driving past places like it was in like a lot of the um, villages I would see like Ayurveda spice farms and like medicines and I ended up like doing like a t- little tour for one of the spice farms and like I remember just like feeling this like someone had said plugged me in like plugging the like plug into the socket I was like holy shit like this is that word that I was looking for my whole life because I was always like, I want to like heal. I want to help people. Like I always wanted to be a witch when I was little, like little did I know I feel I already was. 
I just like didn't have anyone around me who practiced this like way of life. Um, like I said, like there's many layers and reasons for that that I now know, but um, this was it. Like I was watching these people prepare these medicines. They were picking the spices and the herbs right from this huge forest basically. And then like, it, like I, I bought those medicines and I saw how they were prepared and it was just like such a fascinating process for me and then I came back to Canada eventually and just started like looking for a place to study um and that's like the the practical part of how it happened but really for me I think when my grandfather passed like that was his gift yeah to me because I don't, I, I don't have any other explanation for it. I don't think I would have found it. I had to go to that rock bottom grief. I had to go through that process of like, just like letting go of what I thought life was supposed to be in order to make room for this. And then I've just spent the last like 10 years studying, training, learning, unpacking, embodying, um, all this, all this magic and this wisdom. And, uh, I think he, he kept, keeps me connected to the ancestors i think there's always one person in every family and generation um that carries up forward and i think it's always been me mm-hmm. i just didn't know how it was gonna unfold mm-hmm. um and and that's how it started and then i also like have my spiritual teacher shri shri ravi shankar who i've been with since like 2006 um who's played a really big role in me actually embodying the spiritual practices that that people talk about and learn about um but i went the route of like not knowing anything and just going into it and being thrown into the fire pit and uh you know he always says like gold has to like be hammered and like fired in order to like be shiny and polished and yeah Mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm in it. You run through the forge, like the part one. Yeah. I don't think it ever. Once you're in it, it never stops. Yeah. I just thought like, oh yeah, once you learn everything, you're good. You're just like suddenly yeah. enlightenment comes and you never have problems again. And it's a huge lie because you yeah. see more problems. Yeah, first the first step. Yeah. yeah, right. It's like uh, unlearning or or coming to an awareness like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to be done. Yeah. And then that's like your beginning point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like going into that zone, like sometimes where I'm like just like hysterically laughing to myself because I'm like, fuck. Like I thought, I thought that this was going to be the easy ride. Like, oh, I'm spiritual now. Like, I don't need to worry about stuff. Break the alchemist to meditate. Yeah. Do some yoga. I'm never going to have road rage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Until I have to drive to Richmond for the <laughs> Juice Truck podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be teleporting by the next podcast. We're yeah. working on that. Yeah, please. Oh my gosh. Before before we get too far away, let me just say thank you uh, for sharing vulnerability with us and um, yeah, for just opening that up. And, and I just want to say uh, when you said that was the gift that your grandpa gave you, that's exactly what popped into my mind when you were saying how you started traveling down after because you're like you're there we might as well I was like what a gift that you were given to be able to do that and discover this and then when you said that uh, I was like oh man yeah that's so brilliant and then it got me thinking that like 
it wasn't just for you, but it's for all of the people that you have yeah. helped and worked with and will. Yeah. And so like this legacy and this gift of your grandfather is like so much bigger mm-hmm. than just something like he gave to you, which is so yeah. beautiful, right? And it's bringing this healing mm-hmm. to people in places and spaces that would have never ever been able to even meet your grandpa. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. so it's so cool how like for you to have that awareness even mm-hmm. of the gift that was received, but during this journey that you were there, that part of the healing of your own loss was finding finding Aramita and like seeing that this is a path for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was like part of your journey and now it's like bigger and you're incorporating that wellness and that life into other people. Yeah. I was just it it's I feel so good. Like I feel so good <laughs> hearing that, you know, like these stories of redemption are beautiful and I think that um yeah you get to participate in something that's yeah, your grandpa was obviously a very special man to be able to gift, you know, all of us the journey that you you've mm-hmm. entered. He um, was fun. I'll tell you that much. He was definitely like the life of the party and not on this realm of life at all. Like he loved his drinks. He loved his partying. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. Oh my gosh, he was uh, like like a. He grew up as well. Yeah, yeah, but um, lived here, lived in Delta. Um, so oh, I grew up. Yeah, I okay. grew up with having both sets of my grandparents around. But when I was really little, and like my nanny and my nana, so that's like your maternal grandparents, yeah. um, babysat all of us. Like yeah. um, when when it was like me, my sister, and my cousin, and then we have like we have a lot of cousins. So yeah. like you know when our parents were at work, like a lot of the times we would. Um, spend time there and my grandpa was just like a personality like a you know when people say like certain p- people are like pillars of a family yeah. like and you don't realize that until they're gone like that that was him for us because he kept both generations like together like yeah. he would always have pe- us over like always wanting to celebrate things like the person who creates like memories and tradition and that's how I feel yeah. about like family is that it should be about togetherness and you create these special moments and yeah you're not all gonna get along but like at the core of it it is because we're here to live out this lifetime together for a reason and he he definitely had that and no one said shit to him like (laughs) he he could say it doesn't matter if you're like a lady a man young old like the prime minister like he just said it like it was and like no one ever contested that and it was never like you know some people are like oh my grandpa was like super scary or like this it was like no he was just like straight up and then the next minute he'd be like all right like back to being like the life of the party but he was like real and that is something that i wish i had more time to like learn from him to just how to like stand your ground and like say what you gotta say without worrying that like you're not going to be liked yeah. or like people are going to like not support you because like he, he was like the creator of community, you know? Yeah. That's so good though. I feel like so many people don't say what they think or feel yeah. because they're afraid that it's going to disrupt community. Yeah. But in, in natural fact, what we need is people who are honest, yeah. but loving. Yeah. And they're honest because they care. They, they care. 
yeah. right? Where it's like we're in this world where it's like these keyboard warriors and like, you know, we've all been on mm-hmm. forums where you read the comments, you're like, oh my God, it's the mm-hmm. worst thing I've ever seen. But like in real life, to have someone who can, you know cares mm-hmm. so much about you tell you like, stop being an idiot mm-hmm. or stop doing this or like, no, no, you're wrong. This is how it is. But come, it's come from a place of love. That, yeah. that fosters like those familial bonds and community yeah. more than anything else because it's like well this person cares enough about me to like kind of go out there and like tell me I'm being dumb yeah oh and yeah. we need that like especially as teenagers you know our, our physiologies we're growing up like we need people who love us to give us boundaries mm-hmm. like otherwise we kind of run amok with ourselves right yeah uh, and like I didn't like in in like day-to-day things like I didn't get to be as close to him as I wished I could be also because like in our culture like he was a lot closer to like my boy cousins versus like the girls so you know so there's always that like divide but I think in his passing that's when our bond was like really um much closer and like flourished and like I felt like any everything he couldn't say like being as straight up as he was also being vulnerable wasn't like the thing you know like he he did give me like a little insight like we had a few moments where he shed some tears and we like had these heart to hearts but not as often as I would have wanted before he passed and I got to do that now for the last 10 years in my own space and in my own way um I get to see that side Wow. Yeah. What's uh, just to give give the ancestors a shout out? What's grandpa's grandpa's name? Oh, Mohinder Singh Dhaliwal. Yeah. His name is translates to God of the Sky. Ironically. <laughs> Looking down. Yeah. Cool. Respect. Yeah. yeah. So he. Whenever I talk about my origin story, it's like it's not about me as much as it is all the people before me and around me. Like I have my role, but like they all play their part in in making sure that I'm here. Like, even my parents, like, everything they've sacrificed, everything they've done, everything they didn't do is so that I could play this role. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing that now for the people around me, and it just continues. Like, there's no origin story without that community. Yeah. So true. I think that there's this this common belief where people are like, well, I'm going to go, like, find myself. Mm -hmm. And it's this individualistic kind of approach and like pretty egotistical to say like I can do this like Mm. I will go and find myself Mm. and like for some people for sure that's probably worked or helped show maybe gaps or have brought them to the realization of like all of these people have brought me to where I am Mm. whether it's a good relationship or a bad relationship I've needed these people right the the, the classic line from the Buddha like everyone is your teacher Mm. right so to like embody that but your story is not that your story isn't like I'm going to go and do this you had said, like, you always knew that there was something off, something different. Like, you didn't buy the script mm-hmm. of, like, do this, go to school, get the job. This, like, that, even going through the motions, you're like, this is not giving my soul life. Yeah. And then yeah. through this community, through your grandpa, this is how you found yeah. what ultimately is, like, your purpose, right? And what, yeah. it is, what is the journey you're walking on, which is so... I think brilliant. Yeah. And it wasn't like when I think of like, for me, it wasn't like, oh, my community and my parents and everyone encouraged me to be this way. And then I found my way. Hell no. 
they were like, what are you doing? Like, this is not like, this isn't even a real career. This isn't a real job. We still don't, half of my family still doesn't know what I do. <laughs> like someone recently just was like, what's Ayurveda? And I almost like choked and like fell off my chair because I was like, all right, clearly you don't even follow me on Instagram. <laughs> because, you know, and, and it was, it was because I saw a lot of the things that I didn't want to do and I didn't want to repeat that pushed me to find a different path Mm -hmm. um but really it's like when I say that was it me finding anything or is it just that's the destiny and I just had enough encouragement from the universe and like awareness to like follow and listen to those whispers so it depends what we mean when we say find it's it's what's your belief system around what we're here to do Mm -hmm. like is it predestined are we creating this? Are we co-creating? Like, you know, that's a whole nother podcast. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Can we go there? What do you, what do you think? Is, honestly, is that a fair question? I would, I'm so interested to know. Do you create it? Is it, is it a path that we walk? Both. I think it's a combination of both. Like, Shri Shri always says, life is a combination of free will and destiny. There are certain things that inevitable. There's nothing we can do to change it. Like, even our parents, our siblings, like, we didn't choose those things, you know? And even, like, the partnerships you have, like, we think we're choosing them, but are we really? Um, So I think that there's things that are unchangeable and you have to go through the motions of those. And then within that, there's, like, certain decisions that you can make. And I think when you're on a spiritual path, the more awareness and clarity you get, you can learn to sort of, like navigate and sort of like make new laneways um inevitably your destination will be the same but maybe you will experience it in a different way a more richer way a more fruitful way with more awareness um and maybe not put yourself through the ringer and some things like it's karma yeah yeah so good living in the flow right versus trying to fight it and go this way like we can align yeah our will and the things we're trying to like figure out with with what this ultimate like destiny or purpose in our life is mm-hmm. yeah well, that's cool it's cool too that you like embrace you know your your you know a path that was you know culturally rich with with you people like I've, I've a lot of my friends that were first generation some of them you know rebelled against mm-hmm. their their cultural um, norms of where their families came from they just wanted to be like you know, I, I watch hockey and I drink beer and mm-hmm. this is this is what we do here. Mm-hmm. That's what you did back there. And I've kind of like pushed it away. Yeah. Uh, but to kind of embrace that history and, and to bring it here in, in your way, honoring your history and, and your people's history, I think is, is really cool. Um, and kind of like you said, even with like some of your own family, like they're, they're like, you know, what are, what are you doing? Like, yeah. Um, I think, you know, we all have these cultural backgrounds that we, we often neglect and, and they're all rich and diverse and um, mm-hmm. it's cool to, to see you exploring that and, and making it part of this present day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely went through the process of rejecting it, like if I were to say like during high school, but my spiritual path and like my deep connection and like honoring what my spirit says allowed me to now like really see the difference between the culture that's been created 
by colonization, by patriarchy, by trauma, mm-hmm. and what the true culture is. So most of the stuff that I rebelled against and rejected was like a byproduct of those other things. Right. I rejected, um, you know, my Punjabi culture because it was very patriarchal and yeah. I was always um, having to operate within the confines of what like men had decided we had to look like, dress like, act like, um, you know, all those things. And I, I couldn't go out and do this and do that. And yet my parents were pretty liberal in the sense that like they let us explore way more than most of the people that I, um, grew up around. And, um, yet still, I didn't feel that sense of freedom that I deeply craved. And, you know, I just realized like that wasn't the culture. That was just like the byproduct of what their own fears. Like as now I'm in my thirties and like, I have two younger sisters and one of them is much younger than me, like nine years younger. And like, I know how I feel like if I don't hear from them or like they're out and like, you know, I'm like, I get it. I get what my parents must've felt. And this was like pre cell phone days, pre like being able to like know where the hell your kid is. And like, you know, we've all seen those memes where it's like, I was lying in my high school field face down with the spins. Like that was like real ass things. And, and for like Punjabi parents to like imagine their daughter, like doing those things, it's like, they would just die, you know? And it's like, now it's no big deal to them. Which I'm like, I had to go through this shit you said the to like even be able to go out and like yeah. now all my like younger cousins are like doing whatever the hell they want. <laughs> and it's like, so every generation has to go through their um, paving the way moments. Um, but yeah, the, the embracing of the culture, the things that I always love and the things that deeply lit up my spirit, like whether it was food or dance or music or being there, the land, the way that it smells, like those are the things that I honor deeply. And like, I had to explore those as an adult on my own. Like mm-hmm. no one held my hand. My parents didn't say, yo, let's go on a family trip and do this. Like I went on my own yeah. and it was scary. It was hard because when I go there, there's also this sense of, I'm not really accepted there either, you know? And when I'm here, I'm not fully, (laughs) I I don't accept this version fully either because I don't identify as Canadian, you know? I identify as a Punjabi Sikh woman, but there's so many layers to that. And no one tells you that when you're growing up. (laughs) Like no one tells you that the identity is so complex, yet also not, you know? So, yeah. Love it. So fast forwarding, yeah. you, know, you go on, you go on this, this path that leads you back to, to Ayurveda and, and mm-hmm. learning Ayurvedic medicine. Um, just let's, can we break down what, what Ayurveda is and mm-hmm. like how, how people can um, kind of approach that and bring that into their lives? Yeah. You can put your cousins to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up? I'm you on Instagram. This is what I hear, y'all. Just fast yeah. forward to 30 yeah. minutes in and then this is... Uh, yeah, yeah. Here's my, here's my LinkedIn. So if they ask you, just give them the link. Here. Seriously. <laughs> um, so Ayurveda is the oldest um, holistic medical system in the world. Um, it's can be known in many terms sometimes called like the mother of all medicine some people refer to it as like the sister science to yoga but i see it as like uh yeah it's like the oldest medical system it's so many other medical systems were derived from it including many things from allopathy traditional chinese medicine um and it's based on the five element theory called bancha mahabhuta 
um, which is the five great elements. So we work with air, water, space, earth, and fire. And we look at their relationship outside of nature and how it exists inside of our body. And all of us, um, we have different combinations of these elements and different levels, which makes up our constitution. And based on that constitution, um, there's a certain lifestyle that we should be leading that keeps those elements in balance. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different proneness to diseases based on um, those elements in our body when they're either in excess or depleted. So basically, you it's deeply connected to nature, like all indigenous cultures are, and like understanding how we are these organisms that you know aren't we're not robots like everything around in our environment impacts us um down to the level of this like the cellular level the level of the spirit um what i love is ayurveda connects mind body spirit Mm -hmm. you know this is now like western medicine is now talking about all these things like mind gut connection and blah 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 blah. (laughs) but it's like ayurveda already has spoken about all of this like like eight thousand years ago talking about it like it's this new discovery yeah there's a lot of things that are quote unquote new discoveries that are already in the ancient texts yeah. and like Canada, Canada was a new discovery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at this land we just discovered. Yeah, oh we gosh. just tripped and fell on it. Yeah. Um, so there's there's uh, it's just it's it's a beautiful medicine and for me you know when I first started studying the reason why it resonated so deeply for me was because. I wasn't hearing it for the first time. Like nothing in my life has made perfect sense the way that it did when I sat in my first training, the way that Ayurveda did. And that's, I never looked back after that because I was like, shit, a lot of stuff has made no sense to me my whole life. And this is like perfect sense. So I'm not even going to question it. Mm -hmm. And it was like a remembering, you know, and I think that's how you know is when it's a remembering, that's part of that destiny. Right. That's awesome. So the the few the, the combination of elements within mm-hmm. them, is that I've heard some of you refer to it as like the doshas or the doshas. Yeah, yeah. So that's what that. So there's um, air and space is vata dosha. Um, fire and water is pitta dosha. Water and earth is kapha dosha. So they all have different qualities. Like um, you know, let's we'll use vata as an example. So when you look at air and space, like air can be what how does air feel look sound yeah so it could be could be cool yeah windy could be, could be moist <laughs> <laughs> all right so you guys need to come to my environment yeah, 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 yeah. class, yeah. which happened at the juice truck there okay um so it's it's dry yeah. it's quick moving it's rough um cool um so when you look at the qualities of those different elements you can see how they would exist in in our body so vata is responsible for all movement and communication um blinking breathing blood pumping talking pooping like everything that requires movement right because air is always moving space it's our body has lots of empty space within it and that's what's allowing us to function um and and we just look at those doshas and what you eat when you sleep when you wake up everything should go according to 
what's happening outside in nature at those specific times. Um, that's how you harmonize. The goal is to like harmonize with nature. The reason why it was much more simple back in the day is because people lived literally according to nature. Mm -hmm. They woke up when the sun rose. They went to bed when the sun went down. They ate when the sun was at its peak. Now, because we have so much free will, we literally kind of take nature out of the factor and we decide how we want our days to look. We have access to all the food, all times of year. So there's really no thing as like seasonal eating. I can get a pineapple from Hawaii Mm -hmm. or like Jamaica, like tomorrow if I want to. Amazon Prime that (laughs) and it's here. Um, So all of those things impact the way that we we function. We're not in our balanced um, state as much. So Ayurveda tells you, here's the things that you should do to be more in harmony and the reason why you want to be more in harmony is the purpose of Ayurveda it's it's a more preventative way it's a lifestyle it's to increase your longevity not so much treating symptoms as just living a life of wellness yeah it's 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 not based on your symptoms the symptoms give like are your clues to get to the root cause we always look at the root cause and what my favorite thing about it is why do we want to be healthy why do we want to be well why do we want this long life why do we all want to live till we're like a hundred or whatever mm-hmm. if we're just gonna not do shit with it and be awful people like really is there a point right. the point is that you have a life that you're building community it is purposeful it is intentional and um you know in india it's very common that people go on pilgrimages when they're older so it was really when you get to that point of like your spiritual pursuits that you have done everything else and your body, mind, and spirit is healthy and prepared and ready to experience now like spiritual living, mm. you know? Um, and, and we're really fortunate that we have access to stuff right at our fingertips. So it's like Ayurveda tells us live intentionally, purposefully, healthy, well now and like create a better world while we're living in it. So we've, in the West, I feel like we've been so guilty of just like cherry picking these things from, mm-hmm. from Ayurveda wellness and from, from yoga, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, like, oh, we were chatting last week, like, you know, we'll see, a, I'll see a turmeric latte and I'll have like, it'll be, have the words like Ayurveda next to it. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think that's, they're having some, some practicing some Ayurvedic wellness by having yeah. a turmeric latte. If they, go to a yoga class and they're like, you know, touching their toes or doing downward dog, they'll think they're like doing yoga. Yeah. Um, so we've, I, I feel like we've taken these, these elements of these, these ancient practices and ancient wisdoms and um, we've forgotten kind of the, the value that mm-hmm. kind of built them up or the ethics or, or the why um, mm-hmm. and just kind of taken these like one or two snippets. So like, um, like even thinking about, you know, your experience, like if you walk into a cafe and you see a turmeric latte or a yoga studio and you see like, mm-hmm. you know, various forms of yoga, like how, how do you experience that as someone that sees the full practice versus just like the, the one letter of the full alphabet? Mm-hmm. You mean after I'm done raging? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after I've like smashed the turmeric latte sign? onto the floor um 
you know, I feel I used to be very, um, I don't even know the word, like disheartened, like initially. Um, but now after I've been doing this work and I am consciously taking up space in this industry now, um, I feel much more vocal and I feel much more comfortable, um, speaking about this kind of stuff. And it's, it's like any practice. Ayurveda is not the only one, like traditional Chinese medicine. All these indigenous medicine practices, when they become commodified and um, people are essentially colonizing these um, indigenous medicine practices, it's the people whose origin are from those places and yeah. those practitioners are the ones that need to be the experts and take up space um and we need to look to them to um get the guidance and we can't treat these medical sciences and these practices as just like that western idea of like pop the pill and everything's going to be okay like there's a whole um like it, it, it's a whole system. Like you can't just take the one thing from it, extract it. Like it's a very colonial mentality to like segment everything, extract what you want and like, you know, suck the life out of it until there's nothing left because the, there's, there's a group of people and an origin from where all these practices came from. Um, there was a great sacrifice, great loss. People lost their lives in order to practice. And those of us who are working on reviving, it's like, we're not going to allow it to continue. Um, but inevitably in the West, like when we're talking about turning anything into a business, which never was created to be a business, like there's going to be that conflict. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah, turmeric lattes is like the running joke, like any podcast I've ever done. It's the first (laughs) thing people bring up because, you know, those are things that for a lot of us, we ourselves didn't get to experience growing up because that, those practices were taken away Mm -hmm. from us. I didn't grow up with my nanny, you know, giving me warm turmeric milk every night and putting me to bed and like praying and like chanting with me you know what I mean like I didn't get the luxury of having those practices mm-hmm. so if if people are taking them and selling them and making a profit off of them without any um recognition or acknowledgement of the origin like we have to be critical of what we're consuming and that comes down to the um people who are the the consumers like you have to question but without the awareness you wouldn't even know you wouldn't even think a lot of these wellness practices because it's so accessible we forget that hey this comes from somewhere and that's a very western thing like oh it's here so i'm going to consume it like like palo santo sage like all these things you know and and without having the awareness on how we consciously consume these things or do I have the permission to consume these things um it really comes down to us each individually doing our part and like you know as as business owners like also your responsibility when you're bringing these things into your business where is it coming from who's the practitioner this is coming from or who's the creator this is coming from if you're getting your turmeric latte mix from Karen. <laughs> I was like, who are you going to throw under the bus? I was like, always Karen. It's always 
Karen. Thank God for Karen. Yeah, sorry to any Karens listening to this, but 2020 was not your year, sis. Yeah. <laughs> Sucks for all the people in the but, you know, you, you have to be critical as well because it's your responsibility. And, and if you're a person in a position of power and influence and um, you have that privilege, you need to use that in order to put people in position that are from those communities. Mm-hmm. Can I, you, you mentioned uh, as part of that that some of the people who are practitioners and leaders uh, in Ayurveda and the practices were like put to death or like they made sacrifices can you say more on that in what context like because I think that's a really important point for, for absolutely us. so we can just look at the history of Canada for example the indigenous people went through genocide and um, their practices were taken away from them their way of life their language their clothing their spiritual practices, everything was stripped away from them. So any place that's been colonized has experienced this similar genocide. And India has been colonized many, many times, but the most long-lasting impact was the colonization through the British. Mm -hmm. And when the British came and the Europeans first started coming um, to India... They, there was uh, Ayurvedic medicine and there was Unani medicine, so the two indigenous medicines that were there. And then there was folk medicine, which was like home remedies practiced um, in, in villages and things like that. So they were coming from Europe to learn how to do certain things in creating their like allopathic medical system. Eventually, like they see how powerful it is and how intricate it is and how in-depth it is. Um, more and more of these uh, European doctors were coming over and they were like, oh, well, you know, where everything, what's the difference between this and like folk medicine? So their like own understanding of it. And they kind of just started branding all of this holistic medicine as folk medicine and kind of discredited it. Mm-hmm. And they started closing down all the schools, all the, um, a lot of the texts were taken and destroyed and burnt. Um, and just through the process of not having access to our own indigenous medicine, which could have helped so many people like during this process, the genocide doesn't just, um, have one, uh, way of showing itself. You know what I mean? Like we talked about this last time. It's like, how do you start killing a civilization? You start with its language, its cultures, its traditions, its healing, its medicine, its women, its children. And it slowly seeps out until you've completely, you don't have to physically kill them. Mind you, they physically killed us too. But like there's, there's many ways to kill a civilization and a person's spirit. And, and, um, that's, that's how it went down. And you know, what we know of Ayurvedic medicine now is is just still a very small amount that was recovered and saved because this was a, an oral tradition, you know, passed down from family to family, lineage to lineage, mm-hmm. um, through this tradition we call Guru Shishya Parampara, which is like a guru to student. And that's how it was passed down. So when you hear like, oh, Ayurveda is 5,000 years old, which every website will say, it means, yeah, it's, it's when it was, it was around then, like written, um, documentation of it. But before that, it's like hundreds and thousands of years. It's so interesting. I heard yesterday in a conversation, someone was talking about uh, indigenous wisdom Mm -hmm. and the comment was, 
Well, that's what we know, but that's the written history, which mm-hmm. is less trustworthy mm-hmm. than the oral tradition. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? It was like a record scratch moment, like, because we think if it's written down, right? Yeah. Today, like, we'll make sure there's a paper trail, even yeah. though it means emails, because if it's written down, it's more trustworthy. It's real. But then it's crazy, because this is a little aside. You look at, like, for example, um, a former or current president's Twitter feed <laughs> of like right. things that are written down yeah. and for the last two and a half weeks now post their election in the South it's like all not true yeah and so it, just, it caught me because that's the second time now in two days where it's like the, the wisdom of um, oral tradition yeah. like supersede and is more important and yeah. maybe for, well be more accurate than like what's written yeah. And then they'll say, oh, it's 5,000 years old because it's written. Even yeah. that is like a Western mindset. Yeah, right? that's the colonial mindset because we like, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like, like if it's tangible and I see it, that makes it real. But like this medicine is not just about the physical body. The spirit is is what resides in this physical body. So when you're chanting, like everything was written, uh, not written, but everything was in shlokas and mantras. So that those are like certain vibrational frequencies and sounds that like plant that seed of that medicine and that understanding and that knowledge in your spirit when you're doing the chanting. And that's how these traditions were carried on and I know that's like that's a case for so many including indigenous people in in Canada because yes. sorry go ahead. well since you're not studying a textbook you're learning mm-hmm. these mantras mm-hmm. these chants yeah and and that's as old as like the universe you know yeah. the the vibe, sound vibration totally. and sound current because if you look up like Sanskrit or, or like Kirtan or, or the mantras or whatever mm-hmm. like they, they predate mm-hmm. you know tens of thousands of years old so it's like not a leap of faith at all to say that aromatic medicine probably paralleled that mm-hmm. that history as well yeah mm-hmm. well, so they, well, the, we both have so many questions I know. <laughs> <laughs> but then I just want to circle back to kind of the, the running joke of the turmeric latte like yeah. it's so tragic that there's all of this wisdom mm-hmm. and all of this knowledge about how to bring wellness from the plants, from the herbs, from like understanding how to use them, yeah. how to incorporate them into, into your kind of practices. And it was this holistic approach, right? Yeah. It's about preventative wellness. It's about living the best that you can, being connected to the earth. And then all this time later, it's like the kind of colonizing powers yeah. are the ones that are circling back and trying to reach reach in, mm-hmm. like where it's convenient or where it's trendy, mm-hmm. and pull these things forward. And then it's almost like a hack where it's like, oh, if you just have some turmeric every day, your inflammation is going to go down. And it's, it's completely disconnected from like what you said earlier, where it's like the whole purpose of live, like, what is your why? Yeah. Why do you want to be healthy? Why do you want to live so long? And most of us are so caught in this rat race that we like we know we're supposed to be healthy, and it's kind of like trending to have these like ingredients or things. Um, but like, I'm not thinking about the why. Like, why am I wanting to have this small life? And it usually is not the immediate question is or answer isn't like oh, so that I can add value to my yeah. community. It's like, well, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's wellness is trendy. Yeah, and and it's like we're gonna take down the inflammation, but like not look at where's the inflammation coming from. That, that's the irony, right? With the aromatic medicine being like it's not treating a symptom, it's getting to the root cause. Yeah. Whereas like we're taking this turmeric latte 
because our shoulder is sore and we want to treat, like, yeah. you know, we want the anti-inflammation. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one fragment. You're not seeing the whole picture. So yeah. your, your view and your understanding and your experience is going to be skewed. Yeah. And, and when you take this medicine without having the full picture, the full reverence coming from a, a skilled and experienced practitioner, you're not going to have the full experience. And then again, like discrediting the the medicine and like the mm-hmm. the honor and the reverence behind how deep and powerful it is and that is um kind of like goes back to like that that marketing scheme that was done by like the british was like oh this is all just folk rem- home remedies and none of this actually works and like south asian people themselves so deeply believed that that they also separated from that medicine mm-hmm. and like no one was practicing Ayurveda there was very few doctors and students and there was a recent resurgence of of people wanting to practice and you know thanks to like people who've kept that tradition alive in India like my my Ayurveda guru Dr. Vasant Lad like he has done so much work in not only bringing traditional authentic Ayurveda here to the West, but also making sure that people in India are still keeping it alive and studying. He has his institute there. Um, you know, Sri Sri has also an Ayurvedic college like that because they know like once this medicine is lost, it's going to be very difficult to recover that. And the reason why anything becomes cool or popular or trendy or people want to make money off of it is when they know that it works. And that's, if you go back to the time, the British were like, well, if these people continue to have access to this medicine and it works, right? Like, how will we control these people? Yeah, it's connected to power for sure. Mm -hmm. It's always connected to power. Mm -hmm. So talking about the colonial impact on, you know, the cultural... Um, traditions and, and the wellness uh, of you know of India and of all of these indigenous lands. How do we begin to decolonize wellness? Oh gosh. Well, I mean, the first step is acknowledging that it needs to be decolonized, yeah. and that um, you know, as two white men yes. <laughs> in this space. You know, and, and we've all we've all been guilty of this, like including myself. Maybe there's practices I've taken from other cultures, and maybe I haven't commodified them and make, made a living off of them. But maybe I've used them without the proper reverence and without the proper knowledge. Is the first step is awareness, mm-hmm. and the second step is after that awareness, how are you going to actually have a systematic plan to ensure that you're not creating further harm? Right. And for me, that's always doing your part in ensuring that whatever it is that you're doing goes back to that community that it came from like is there a necessity for you to do like i'll give you an example i did a um just an intro to ayurveda for a yoga training um a couple weeks ago online for a studio in california and right off the bat my first thing i always say is this knowledge is for you to have knowledge and awareness and healing yourself I'm not teaching you this so that you can go tomorrow and do your own workshop and like start mm-hmm. teaching your students because this is 10 years yeah. of, of my like studying and training plus my entire existence of like this, this wisdom that's in my DNA. Yeah. So you doing a two hour intro does not give you Doesn't the you knowledge 
uh, yeah, to go and like further teach this. And then one of the women was like, so should we like practice it for a while and then we can teach it? And I was like, is there a necessity for you to teach it? Like just because you know something or you like something does not mean you need to be the expert in it and you need to take up space in that industry or that way of living. Let the people take up that space Mm -hmm. whose medicine it is, you know? Do you not need to insert yourself in there? And I know that's hard for a lot of people to hear, especially in Vancouver, given how big yoga is. And now Ayurveda is like hot fire and like there is a lot of white women practicing ayurveda or have been practicing for a long time and it's like is there a necessity i always encourage people go back and do some self-exploration what is your family origin what is your lineage you know i read this brilliant thing and it came back to me yesterday that it's like some people feel this deep connection to certain parts of the world and they're like, oh, I found myself here, I belong here, or whatever it is. It's not always that you lived your lifetime there. It could be that your ancestors caused trauma to those people and that's your connection, yeah. you know? So you, by you taking up space again in this lifetime is in some way you're perpetuating that harm again and again. And like... I'm not saying everybody stop practicing what you're practicing. Like, I can't control that. I'm not the authority of Ayurveda and Yoga. (laughs) But just knowing how are you practicing, are you honoring, and are you taking up space unnecessarily where you don't need to be? For example, there's a lot of, like, wellness conferences and all these big things, like, you know, wanderlust and all this stuff. And it's like, who are the people that are the poster children for, for this stuff? It's still white people. You know, it's like if you're going to have a talk on Ayurveda and yoga and whatever, like the expert needs to be someone who is from that lineage and someone who has a lineage, you know, and that being said, not all people who are practicing these have the same vision of like keeping it decolonized because they're still operating in the same way that a colonizer would because of their own internalized um, colonial mindset. So just because a person might have brown skin also doesn't mean like suddenly they deserve to be the expert. It's a combination of things. Person needs to have lineage, training, embodiment, skill, reverence, um, and and the desire to to you know authentically be in that space and and keep the traditions alive. Mm-hmm. It take, it takes work. Like and that's why I yeah. think a lot of people don't do it because it's hard. Like you have to. You have to do your research. You have to do your learning and unlearning and say, is there someone that should be on this platform that isn't me? Yeah. Right? It's like really easy now because of the disease of social media to just look at someone who has 100K followers and is like hot to be like, oh, that's going to be our person to represent yoga or Ayurveda. And, you know, it's, it's, you have to do your work. Like, it's time. Mm -hmm. Like, if people have gotten away for way too long being lazy and taking the like low-hanging fruit and option and not looking deeper and like all these indigenous medicines it's like all about depth if you can't get to the depth of something you have no business consuming it or practicing it right it's such a dangerous thing like being in this wellness sector like we see it and we obviously participate in it and we're trying to be more mindful and aware of, of you know our decisions and the ramifications but like just looking at like, you know, chemo was training and then seeing like what that did to Peru where like 
like local Peruvians were no longer able mm-hmm. to make quinoa. Like acai became trendy, and like mm-hmm. you know, it was like been in Brazil for for like every year. There's a new wellness trend that yeah. more than not doesn't come from North America, and yeah. we just like pillage it. Like we, you know, you talked yeah. about my colonial, um, you know, historically what what we've done as you know Europeans or North Americans, and we try to make these these foreign what we call superfoods that are really just you know ancestral foods of different groups and we try to yeah. to make them these superfoods and and do it in a way that's not um sustainable for the local communities or really for wellness like nobody needs to be taking like activated charcoal every day or, or needs to like mm-hmm. change their diet to be mm-hmm. you know quinoa is all of a sudden the only grain that they're having um, yeah it's like all of this stuff is coming at a cost. Yeah. Can we be well if the origins, whether it's the land or the people um, that we're taking this from is not well? Yeah. Like everything carries an energetic frequency. So I'm someone who's like super sensitive to like yeah. even walking into a room if the energy's whack, I'm like, I gotta go. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, if you're someone who is, is a meditator or you're just like, you know, very, very self-aware and sensitive you you will know when you consume a certain thing you might have some like weird energy you might have some weird dreams at night and it's like everything has an energy Mm -hmm. but when we're so focused on that dollar yeah we're not thinking of the subtle um forces behind that like everything is coming like you said like that cert that certificate that piece of paper the paper came from the tree that is on this land and like we just if we start to look at everything as a part of nature and alive and like scale back away from that like it's just a product and we're going to commodify it and Mm -hmm. like that capitalism monster Mm -hmm. like we can cut back on a lot of things yeah. and like if you if we want to do it it has to be in a way that's sustainable and equitable for the people yeah. otherwise there's no point in doing it if it's just for us to consume the quinoa so we can what sit here and do absolutely nothing yeah. in the world but I have all the superfoods in my cupboard yeah. and like my family's well and I'm fine and great but I contribute nothing to the world yeah. and in fact are creating harm Yeah. if you're like just going to the mm-hmm. bulk section and getting the cheapest bag of quinoa you can mm-hmm. chances are and we don't even give a thought mm-hmm. to the person or persons mm-hmm. who picked that who mm-hmm. grew that what are they, what's their situation how is my dinner literally affecting their lives like we're so divorced from that reality yeah. Whereas, like this practice or this understanding of, like we're we are all intimately and intricately connected. And if like twenty twenty has shown us, I was just gonna say that it's this right. <laughs> yeah. And that, that like even the the, the energy mm-hmm. we think oh we're getting these superfoods and they're so good for us, but like are they? Mm-hmm. Because if it's come, what cost is it coming? Yeah. Yeah. At, yeah. Right? And you may think oh I'm consuming all this stuff and it's so healthy for me. Yeah. But like you putting that tablespoon of whatever or cooking that thing of quinoa is actually causing deforestation or disruption in the community halfway across the world. Mm-hmm. You have to, like, we have to take ownership of that. Yeah. And that, again, it circles back to, like, it's work. Yeah. It's awareness. Yeah. And then it's re- recognition that, like, just because I can afford to do something doesn't mean mm-hmm. it's the right thing for me to do. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, you know, when we look at all this stuff, like, everyone's always pointing the finger at someone else mm-hmm. to do it, to be like... 
well, like that person needs to do it. And it's like, first of all, we need to look at the corporations that are creating these things over and over again. And then as consumers, because a lot of people, if they can only afford to buy the cheapest thing of quinoa and like, that's going to support their family. Like I can't, we can't like expect that person, you know, to be the sole change maker. It has to be at a bigger level. And I think 2020 has really taught us how interconnected we are. Like, we don't know what the impacts of this last 10 months or however the hell long this decade <laughs> of a year yeah. has been. And, and we're seeing that when there's supply shortages, there's shortages for all this food that we're used to just walking into the grocery store and getting. There's shortages for toilet paper, for God's sake. Yeah. Because if the people who are picking these things and growing your food are not well and they're not able to do it, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Where are you going to get that food from? You know? And, and it's really like our wellness is, I would say like self-care is community care. Your wellness is also community wellness. And as individuals, what we do is inevitably contributing to the, the health and wellness of our communities but the world as a whole right because what the hell's the point of being the most meditated like zen out person with your all your herbs and stuff and then walking out into the apocalypse mm-hmm. and pretending like well i'm good so it's all good <laughs> yeah like you are so cut off from the reality of that point yeah that yeah. like you are not well because, <laughs> because take a look around like you are perhaps the most unwell because if you think that you're all good and you're looking around at the current cultural, environmental, world landscape... Yeah. You can't spiritually bypass your way out of the human existence, There's you no know, way. which, like, the yoga world is so good at doing in the West. Um, I was going to say something on, the, on that point that you said um, just now, and it, like, fell out of my head. One, one thing that this might bring you back to your point, but I remember um, on our, our, one of our runs, Dean, when we got stuck in a little blackberry patch there, uh, we were, you kind of shared one of your meditations with me, how you start your day, right. um, and I thought maybe you could share that, and I might kind of connect a positive way to kind of reconnect. To yeah, that. yeah. So it's freeze, I have to admit, it's recently changed, because that's, that, that, that co- coffee is, uh, was connected to my coffee habit. Which I've since changed because I was experiencing a whole bunch of problems due to me consuming way too much coffee. But I actually, I have found some adaptive ways, but it doesn't matter. The story was, is that every morning I would make at least one, usually three, <laughs> double shots of espresso. So I had a problem. The first step is admitting you. Uh, and so anyway, but the whole point of that was, um, it's, I have two young kids. And so often the mornings can be chaotic. Mm-hmm. But the first thing I would do after waking up would be like to kind of do the zombie march to my espresso machine. And I love, loved coffee. And some of my favorite roasters. And one of them, shout out to Palette Coffee. This year they changed their labels. So it's not just like the name of the coffee, but they actually put the names of the farms and the people mm-hmm. who like where they're getting their beans from there. And they've done, you know, from what I've looked into, they've done an amazing job of like sustainable. Are we are we caring for the environment? Are we caring for people? So I was really happy to give them my money in exchange for these beans. But 
So I would always try to ground myself in gratitude, start the day in gratitude, mm -hmm. right? And so as I'm making this coffee, it takes about 45 seconds or whatever, but as I'm grinding the beans and like watching the hot water come through and fall into my cup, I try to just be aware of like mm -hmm. somewhere, you know, wherever it was from, maybe this one's from Ethiopia, this one's from Brazil, I would look at the bag as it's sitting like on my counter or whatever and say, man, there's like a person and a whole, a whole group of people mm. that like went out into the field, picked these beans off of trees that grew because of water and nature and sunlight, and then dried them methodically and carefully, bagged them up, roasted them, like shipped them across the world. Someone roasted them here in East Vancouver. This is their passion. This is their craft. They're making it perfect all so that I could like enjoy this cup of coffee in the morning. Mm -hmm. And when you think about such a simple act that mm -hmm. most of us do all the time is drink a cup of coffee, when you think about how that one thing connects us to so many people and ultimately with our food back to the earth, yeah. it is so beautiful. And I'm sitting there like drinking this coffee and it's literally like a bit of a miracle in the cup. Yeah, right? like the best cup of coffee you've ever had suddenly. Totally. And so bringing that awareness to something that's usually just a passive activity, right? Yeah. Because most of the kids are like, Dad, I want my lucky charms, right? And so you can just like you do it almost on autopilot. You don't even think about it. And here, like in front of me, I'm so fortunate to have this, you know, machine and coffee and electricity and water. Like it runs the gamut of how yeah. lucky we are, how fortunate I am, and to think that like this one little act of, of making my morning coffee or coffees connected me to so many people in the world that I'll never meet. Yeah. But I can, in that moment, ex like, exude some great gratitude towards them and be grateful for, uh, for everything they've done to create this cup. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel about when I have a shower or a bath after my experience of like um, being in India for some time. And, um, I when I had first gotten there I was staying with some friends on one of my trips and I came out of the shower like my regular shower you know like I was used to here and my friend and her partner was sitting on the bed with their like mouths hanging open and they're like looking at their watch they're like you were in there for 30 minutes what the hell were you doing I was like having a shower they're like do you know how much water that is and I was like no because I've never thought about it and let me tell you that was like in 20 like 14 or something since then my showers from 30 minutes to like four minutes like it's it's that like understanding of like oh wow like I don't need just because I have access to this I don't need to be in there you know having my imaginary fights and like solving <laughs> solving world hunger and like all those things um writing my next poem like in the shower like i could just do what i gotta do and get out and like be grateful for um what i have access to yeah what i was gonna say um when you were talking about the person the meditator um who goes out into the world and doesn't see um anything else because they're like well i'm all good you know in sikhi we have this thing and and our guru said guru nanak devji our first sikh guru said you know, you have to live a Grista Jeevan, which is like, you have to be of the world, like be a family person and like do all this prayer and understanding of the knowledge and the wisdom to embody it and live it so that you're in the world living it. It's very easy to run away and like 
be in the mountains and yeah. be detached from the world and be like, oh, well, I'm just going to be over here and meditate and do my thing and like F the world, you know, which I know that we've all felt, especially this year. Like yeah. I go through that feeling like at least five times a day, <laughs> but that idea of that, like that's how each of us is creating impact. It's like we all have a vibrational frequency mm-hmm. and like what am I doing every single day starting with that first cup of coffee that first shower and how am I doing that with awareness and like now mindfulness is like this big thing and like really it's like do- doing something consciously and like with awareness and reverence and if we do that with even the smallest things then like think about the imp- the ripple effect of our vibrational frequency mm-hmm. You know, then we don't need to have the acai berry all the time yeah. and the, yeah. everything else. It's like it's just operating with awareness. You yeah, know? Like we can have local blueberries that were farmed, mm-hmm. you know, here mm-hmm. on, our, on our, you know, a few blocks down from our local shops. And, yeah, yeah it's just it's it's more than just what we're eating. It's all we're a holistic system. Yeah, the whole consumption. Yeah. Hmm. So much to unpack. Oh, um, one thing that Dean and I were jamming, I know we wanted to, to talk to you about this and, and see if there's a way to synergistically um, combine these worlds. Just talking about like appropriation versus celebration or honoring something. <laughs> like, is there is it possible to to you know practice somebody else's you know ancestral traditions in a way that's honoring and celebrating versus appropriating? I think looking at what's your purpose for doing it. Yeah. If it's for profit. Yeah. I think that'll give you your answer. Like if you're just exploiting, obviously. Yeah. Um, and if it's something that um, is in some way creating harm for others. Yeah. I think you need to look at that. Yeah. Um, if it's coming at a cost to those people whose medicine it is. Yeah. That's something to look at. So again... I'm not the appropriation police, yeah. but there's some things that are very obvious that like 2020 has, we have all the information that we need um, to, to look at, um, go on Google, you know, and, and do your research, do your work, do your due diligence and like come back to what's your intention and what's your purpose. Yeah. People ask that question all the time. I feel when they know they're appropriating. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I never question things that I do because I've gone into it to that depth to be like, I do this because this is a part of my spiritual practice and I do it with uh, honor and reverence. And like, it's been, it's been um, either passed down to me through, through my gurus or like my family or like I've, if it's from a different culture, like am I doing my part um, not to ca- cause harm. Um, I don't question those things. Yeah. I feel people get really defensive when they think someone's like attacking them or is going to take something away from them that wasn't theirs to begin with. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If it's that loose and like able to shake you, like, are you really practicing it yeah. or are you just like doing the, doing the motions of something, right. you know? Um, so yeah, there. I think there can be 
but never for profit. Right. Yeah, I feel like that line is always there. It is an appropriation because there's no need for you to do that. Right. You know. Mm -hmm. One way, and I think this is like maybe up for, you might disagree, but I, I, I feel like, I mean, taking it back to the foods, probably I'm going to like discredit what I'm saying right now, but I feel like chefs have always done like a good job of like trying to um, celebrate and honor different cultural foods when they like will yeah. go to, you know, a region and they'll study the food. Yeah. And um, they'll try to bring it back to their, their kitchen or their, their mm -hmm. restaurant, like true chefs, and try to do it in a way that like, like celebrates what they've learned, but bringing their own, their own background to it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I feel like you can see some interesting fusions there that are, are done in a way of, of like love and appreciation and, and work. And um, I don't know if that's like crosses over to like, you know, mm -hmm. yoga or other spectrums of wellness, but um, I feel like, you know, going into certain restaurants, you can see that the chefs have like, you know, yeah. attempted to honor and give credit to origins and, and how they've brought it to their, their plate. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely there. I can only speak for, like I said, my, my lived experience and the work that I do um, and, and wellness. Like, it's just very obvious that there has been a... Um, there has been a group of people that have been the gatekeepers of a lot of other people's ancestral medicine and have profited greatly off of yeah. it and like have created harm, whether it's been like physically like the land and the resources, but also spiritual harm, yeah. harm for the people that weren't able to like people like myself who weren't able to feel like a yoga studio was a place I could fully thrive and be and show up and feel well. Yes. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's a time for people to really explore their intention and their purpose for doing something. And of course there's like, you know, like, you know, sure. Sure. always says, he's like, I don't need to be Italian to enjoy and appreciate pasta. Yeah. I can do that. But it's like, if I say I invented pasta, like, yeah. you know, like that's obviously a problem, yeah, right. you know? So, yeah. and, and if I like went and bought up like all this certain supply of pasta and now I have the like ownership, quote unquote. Now these girls authentic pasta. <laughs> yeah. 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 In the, or, uh, Italian kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that might be a little bit crossing that line. Yeah. And, um, so, so I think it's different for every, every industry, but like, because wellness is like experiencing this like insane exponential growth right now, yeah. um, it's what we can look at and we see the most sort of, um, people have kind of made it like, this is easy to snatch. So I'm going to take it and claim ownership over it because, Hey, it's not, who's going to stop me. Yeah. Um, food is one of those things that like. I don't know. I just I, I don't look at it as as creating the same harm necessarily as mm -hmm. as what these practices have done. Um, partly because the the way that the the spiritual practices and the medicine were like taken away yes. from people was was so deeply traumatic and violent, mm -hmm. and like food in some ways because 
food is something that survived mm-hmm. in many ways. Food was that thing that people were allowed to keep or that's how they kept culture alive. Whereas this, we're trying to revive right. still. So when someone comes in, when it's still in the process of being uncovered and tries to snatch it up, like, you know, that's when you're like, okay, like, it's really like a culture vulture, like coming in and like you're coming into the nest and like smashing up all the eggs and people are like, what the hell? Like, we're just still trying to like uncover (laughs) these eggs and like preserve them. And here you are already snatching shit up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's like maybe a little bit, um, different isn't the right word, but maybe it's like heightened mm-hmm. when it's tied to things like medicine and wellness mm-hmm. because there's so much like ancestral wisdom and it came from such a place of creating wellness and creating health. Yeah. And then when you are a person who is like taking those things to, to your, your hope, I think would be pure in creating wellness, Yeah. but ignoring or being ignorant to the fact that you're actually causing harm, right? Which is the antithesis of what you're trying to do. Yeah. That's when it's like more, um, it seems like it's more of a, a wrong that's being done. Because the heartbeat behind it isn't just like, as much as food is tied to wellness and we need to eat. To yeah. Right? But like you can kind of grab food on the go and whatever and think, oh, this is like a, a butter chicken like sandwich or this is like an Italian, like you can get right here, you can get like a, Palakpaneer uh, pizza. So it's like this fusion of like yeah. these two cultures, right? It's less charged than when it's like, hey, I'm in the space of creating wellness for you. Yeah. And while I'm doing this, I'm while I'm creating wellness for you, I'm actually creating harm for this person over here. Yeah. That's when I think it becomes more of like a, it's an appropriation that is toxic. Toxic. Yeah. Because it's causing that. And, and I think it crosses over to every industry. I don't think food or like any other things are exempt. Clothing, like we can use clothing <laughs> and jewelry as an example. Like when I see like these like gurtas or like saris that are like printed with like Om and Ganesha and it's being sold on Instagram and the model is like some white woman from Australia. Like I die inside when I see that, you know? Okay. So that it's, it's all who's doing it what's the intent like it's it i don't because at the end of the day all of that is still interconnected food was medicine for people music was medicine dance how we adorned ourselves all of those things were sacred Mm -hmm. and belonged to the people who who um created them you know so when i feel the same harm um when it's something like that or when it's like music or you know, whatever it may be, because you know that it's, it comes from a place where it was for our spirit. And then someone else is just like, oh, I'm going to take this because it's cute. Right. And I'm going to like sell it for, and mind you sell it, but then sell it at an insane price, which you know that where they originally got it from, they're not, you know, yeah, that, it's yeah. not equitable. It's, it's not, not fair trade. trade. It's not any of those things. So yeah, I don't. I don't think any any place is really exempt, yeah. to be honest. And intention is like so important. Yeah, like right. what I said last time was, you know, the the quote of this podcast was going to be <laughs> that the wellness industry isn't isn't exempt from creating harm just because we have good intentions. Yes, you know. Yeah, so. that's the quote. So, so good. good. So good. Well, what does uh, 
what is the future of, of Navigo Wellness, your Ayurvedic practice? I know you've got some other mm-hmm. entrepreneurial mm-hmm. endeavors that you're working on that we don't need to you know, <laughs> uncover just yet. Uncover just yet, but um, you know, what what does the the future look like for? Oh, let's gosh. let's just pretend we you know shake this magic powder and COVID's gone. <laughs> to, uh, First thing, I, I really want to go back home. I really want to go back to India and spend yeah. some time there and like reconnect I feel like my spirit has been longing I haven't been able to go back since 2016 yeah. and I thought that this year was going to be it and like shit I <laughs> you know wish I had gone when I had the chance but um, that's the first thing I'm definitely going to do and um, my dream is to study more like it's just such a deep science that it's a lifelong process but um, I want to be able to offer people more ways to to integrate this knowledge and that comes from me like understanding and living it and experiencing it and studying with the guru um so that's something there and um you know i'm working on some things right now that i like to i like to work a little bit uh secretively and silently and then like when i'm ready to like birth my creation then it's out there but really the goal at the end of the day for me is I want to be well I want my family to be well and I want people who didn't feel that they could have access to things that made them well like starting with my own family um for them to have an understanding for them to reconnect you know people who are from um, India that maybe never experienced Ayurveda or yoga or breathing or um, any of these things that that come from 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 that land, but they just never felt like they deserved wellness or had access to wellness. Is I want to make it the norm, and I want them to be able to come to people like me who look like me who have that experience and understanding where they can feel safe. And, and experience what wellness means. That's the biggest thing for me, and especially like for, for women, um, people that identify as women, to um, integrate ritual in, into their life as a form of self-care and really like more more witches. More witches. <laughs> more witches. Because we, we, we need that on, on this earth is people who are in their power. And are there, uh, just to kind of celebrate the people that are practicing with, you know, the right intentions, are there any brothers or sisters or witches from here Mm -hmm. or LA or India or anywhere else that are practicing in true authenticity that you want to give shout outs to that we can kind of look to for holding holding space? Oh, wow. Well, there's people that I, you know, obviously Dr. Ladd is like, he's he's an incredible teacher. Um, There's um, Maya Tawari, who is another um, beautiful teacher who's been uh, doing this work for a long time. Um, if it, if I like to break it down into different like segments, so like if it's food, like there's a couple people that I love. Obviously, we know Manjuri, made by Manjuri. Yes. Um, there's there's another woman. Um, I believe her handle is. We're all like talking in IG terms, so it's Ravina Eats. I recently discovered her. I love her page. She's in the UK, and her grandma is always featured on her stories which I love because it's about food and like that's how I connect with my grandma. 
Yeah. Um, so beautiful recipes there. Um, Sanjana, Sanjana feasts is another one of my favorites. Um, a lot of vegetarian, like Indian food. Uh, to me, a lot of things, even though I am like talking about Ayurveda and wellness, like food is is what makes my like everything come together like the healing the wellness the community it's like around food mm. um in terms of uh ayurveda uh, there's a few practitioners there's um niti Seth. she's in in the uk as well um locally there's um santani ayurveda another friend of mine um dear I also, I don't like saying colleague because it's like such a weird thing, but like, <laughs> colleague. yeah, a colleague, um, but like friend and sister who's a practitioner, um, in terms of like ritual, um, I, my friend, nurture Nicole, um, Nicole ends is someone that I deeply, deeply adore and really has a lot of reverence for nature and ritual. Um, so there's, there's, there's a few people that I, that I really adore and and are holding space and taking up space in these practices. I think everyone should just go follow whoever you're following on Instagram. Sharing something I'm like, damn, that's so cool. Um, Dean, did you have any other questions or I mean we could ask questions for the next six six hours and I know um, we'll definitely have you on for more podcasts and there's, yeah, I'm gonna there, co-host. There's, yeah. there's, plans, there's plans to co-host. I'm actually taking over this yeah. podcast. Yeah. Decolonizing it yeah. as we talk. Yeah. Um, is there anywhere? I mean, we we can keep going for as long as, as long as you guys want. Is there any anywhere you want to go? I mean, uh, no. I think honestly, so much of what you said is like like an important episode one kind of conversation yeah. because there's so many. Even as we were talking, like the the tangents or like other rabbit holes we can go down and things that we touched on in our mm-hmm. first conversation. Best podcast history. So I mean I think for today, like let's give weight to what you said and not try to yeah. add more for, yeah, for just yeah. the sake of it and to know that you'll be back on uh, mm-hmm. as a guest and as a co-host. Um, I think it's so rich to know that like you're again just like bringing back your story of someone who grew up connected and like wearing the having this tension of like different kind of cultures that you were living in and different identities and knowing that like none of them were quite you mm-hmm. or feeling like something was off and yeah. again through like the loss of your your grandfather and then the subsequent gift of finding this Arabic practice and really open it up into this world where you're healing but you're also like standing in the gap and like calling calling people to account where they are like taking up space where maybe they shouldn't be or are negative voices. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's, it's amazing like that you are a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I, I think uh, I really look forward to continuing to like learn and unlearn from you and with you. Um, and I know like with Zach, when he's like, oh man, you got me navigating. Like, it's, like, <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, he was talking about you for a long time and I was like, listen, Zach, the white guy space in my life, you are in it. I don't know if I can handle two, but he was right. Because I, I, all of the conversations we've had, like, I feel, you know, this sense, like, I can be me. I don't have to code switch. I don't have to, like, hold back because you're not going to be defensive. And I think that's the the space as um, people of color, like, we ask our voices to be heard in their 
truest form, like, you know, whether that's uncomfortable for you or not is still hanging in there and like doing your part and doing your work and allowing us to say what we have to say and then like supporting our work going forward and like elevating our voices and not just a one-off thing you know and be like that was a dope conversation see you never (laughs) you know yeah it's like sitting in that discomfort because it also takes so much for us to also say these things out loud after years and years and years of feeling like we we couldn't Mm -hmm. because it would come at a cost of like losing friends losing work losing this and finally we're in a space where there's some room for us to actually show up and be like yo yeah this shit is whack so how are we gonna fix it right right oh that's awesome and appreciate you being here because i recognize it's obviously the vulnerability of sharing about your loss is tough but then also like you just said right it's it's challenging to maybe speak into a spot where you might not feel like mm-hmm. seen or heard and so i'm so glad that you came and we're here um would you we talked about this before would you lead us like 2020 obviously as we talked about it's been just like an insane decade <laughs> i'm going to use that decade of a year because <laughs> it does it feels like a way yeah um people obviously we're all going through various levels of challenge and struggle and um, in the vein of the conversation trying to land ourselves in places of wellness and mm-hmm. self like reflection and actually um, coming into the world to not just like s- escape it or not pretend like it's mm. burning to the ground but say how can we show up mm-hmm. in the world to make a positive impact to make a positive change would you give us like a tool like a, a meditation or kind of like a send off yeah. people can come back to and just queue up the last three minutes and go I just need that again to be brought back to be centered grounded to then go out into the world and like live into the fullness of who we are created to be yeah no pressure and just three the last three minutes let me just three to five <laughs> let no. me just deliver some enlightenment yeah I, mean, um, I know you carry it with you everywhere you go so. <laughs> no absolutely um, one of my favorite um you know, ways to ground is, is to do like a form of yoga nidra, um, which is like yogic sleep. But I also like to just like take my attention and awareness and bring myself back into my body. Mm. I find like, for me, I'm always wanting to run out of the body and escape because I'm like, this shit's too hard. (laughs) But if I'm not in the body, I can't embody anything and I can't do any of the work that I need to do. So, um, we could just sit wherever you are um if you're sitting in a chair just make sure there's um, a little bit of space around you if you want to lay down you can lay down but for the first part we'll just sit comfortably and just start by shaking your hands so shake 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 out this whole podcast everything you heard shake faster 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 Raise your arms higher up as you shake above your head. Oh gosh, you guys are so stiff. Shake, 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 And you can slowly start bringing them back to either side, still shaking, and start slowing down a little bit. Slowing down. And bring your arms to rest in your lap. You can close your eyes if that feels inviting and safe for you. You can have your hands face up in your lap, or if you feel like you need some grounding, you can bring them face down on your knees. 
And just observe the sensations in your arms compared to the rest of the body. There might be some lightness, some tingling, a buzzing sensation. Feeling the prana coursing through both your arms. And now gently bring your attention to your breath. Taking long, deep breaths in and out through the nose. Observing if your breath is staying just at the chest. And just consciously in your next breath in, trying to take it down to the belly. If your attention has wandered away, gently bring your attention back into the breath. And without any effort at all, take your attention to your right foot. your right knee, your right thigh and hip, the whole right leg, breathing in and let go. your attention to your left foot. Your left knee. Your left thigh and hip. the whole left leg, breathing in, and let go. Taking the attention to the genitals, the abdomen and stomach, your solar plexus, chest, 
right shoulder and right arm. Left shoulder and left arm. Throat. Face. Back of the head. The very top of your head. your attention to your whole body, your whole body. The body is a beautiful gift given to you by nature. Love and honor your body very dearly. Slowly bringing your attention back into the room and back into your body. Some gentle movements to the fingers and the toes. Taking a deep breath in. And breathing out through the mouth with an audible ha. <sighs> Gently bringing the palms together and just Creating some heat. Again, feeling the prana between the palms. And just gently cup the eyes. Feeling the warmth behind your eyes. And relaxing the arms back down. When you feel ready. When you feel complete. With a smile on your face even if it's fake. You can open the eyes. Thank you. That's amazing. That was so good. Yeah. That's amazing how your arms feel after you shake them. Yeah. And just like let them come still. That's so, that was incredible. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. You know, this is the first of many. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I hope everybody that tunes in will enjoy this con- conversation as much as uh, we enjoyed, uh, you know, sharing this space and, and this time with you. So, thank you. Mm-hmm. Even if y'all don't enjoy it, we're still going to keep doing it because we yeah. like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a selfish, selfish intentions. <laughs>
Alright, uh, before we kind of sign off for the day, um, for those that want to um, tune in more to the, the Navigo way of, of life, where can, uh, where can people find you? Well, for now, Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still there. And my website's navigillwellness.com. Yeah. Um, Instagram is the same, at navigillwellness. Yeah. Um, until we can all have, like, telepathy. Yeah. At that, you can find me there. <laughs> All of those tweets. I've seen some Navigo tweets out there. I don't use that as much. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's more Instagram for me. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. So find me there. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much again for being here. All right, what did you guys think? Navi Gill bringing that hot, hot heat. Man, so good. She's so good. I told you she was a fierce firecracker. Firecracker. <laughs> we love her. So good. Again, apologize um, that the audio quality was not as good as it should have been. But thank you uh, if you've made it this far for tracking through to the end. Uh, we really hope um, that you got a lot out of that one you enjoyed it as much as we did uh, be sure to follow navi on all her channels as we mentioned at the end of the podcast and uh we really appreciate uh any likes follows reviews all that stuff goes a long way so uh stay tuned for next week's pod yeah thanks friends be well catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.